Hey, a monk! I'm so glad you rolled a normal character for this campaign. To be honest with you, some of your past characters have been hard to work in the storyline. Alright, let me see your sheet. Okay, no weapons or armor, typical for a monk. Only a 10 dex and a 16 in intelligence and wisdom? Wait a minute. Proficiency in illumination, calligraphy, and Gregorian chants? Oh, God. This is going to be a long campaign. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grognards. I'm Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Hawley. And Greg Ziegler is running just a little bit late, so I'm sure he'll be coming into the studio here at any given moment. So, uh, welcome to those listeners out there. I do believe, Eric, that this is going to be kind of the finale of... This is it. Unless they release a new class, then we'll have to <laughs> cover that in the future. We don't cover those uh, Unearthed Arcana class right. classes. Yeah, but what we're talking about today is the last of the character classes in D&D 5e. It is The Monk. Yeah. A lot of our listeners are really excited to to cover The Monk. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I know we've had sort of a discussion about this. I don't dislike The Monk. But it's also not my favorite class. Right. For me, it is, hmm, I won't say it's the opposite of your opinion, but I have no care, no like, almost a dislike for the monk. And we'll get more into that later, but we have to go on to our regular segment that we like to call Games People Play. All right, so what have you been doing? Um, you and I both attended a game convention, so I know that we've got... I've to... attended more than one Well, convention. that is true. You are definitely living the life of what uh, 13-year-old Eric wanted I'm to I'm a live. gaming professional. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> you do have the ability to travel to a lot more game conventions than either, uh, well, I'll say either Greg or I, but certainly more than most people. It's also been a, a while since we recorded, so I think we've had almost four weeks, if not four weeks. I think it has been, yeah. Just, so, Well, I'll let you go, since you've got a lot more to well, say. Well, I'll, I'll let you talk about the convention we both attended, mm-hmm. and I'll chime in on that. But the other convention, I mean, I've done all my normal stuff. I've done all kinds of gaming with, with D&D, but I went up to that Vote Pip Yap convention up in Hell, Michigan. Explain exactly what that was. It was a charity fundraiser that they limited the tables to five people, five players each, five players in a DM, and basically got 75 or so people to each chip in. I think it was 100, 100 150, mm-hmm. I think it was, to, to go. And you got a little bit of swag. I mean, I think we got the, the Descent in the Avernus book so, and some other, some other little tchotchkes. Was this a Wizards of the Coast sponsor? It was event? an Adventurers League, okay. but it was put on by... Alan Patrick, who is sort of the the Wizard of the Coast person for Adventures League, mm-hmm. it was okay. I, as an event idea, <laughs> they were sort of testing it out. It did work, but as always, I have really high expectations as a DM. And don't get me wrong, my my dungeon master, you had the same dungeon master all weekend. Right. She was competent. She hadn't been playing D&D a real long time, so you could tell there was... Uh, some newness to her, but she she ran a decent game. But the table dynamic was very weird. You also had the same table all weekend. So you were playing with the same exact same people. people. And three Ooh, of the five okay. people at my table play together every week. I was going to ask you, how did that work out? Because uh, sometimes you can get into a table where the 
people just don't get along. They do not mix. It and wasn't mesh that well. they didn't get along. There was just no chemistry because they sort of stayed insular to themselves, mm-hmm. and me and the other guy. At times, I felt like I wasn't even there. I would say something, no one would respond, and then the guy next to me would say it, and they go, "Oh my god, that's a great idea!" I'm like, "I, I just <laughs> said that." So, oh wow! And they also, how did you handle that? I know you, and I'm surprised that you didn't speak up and say, "Wait a second, I yeah, just I, said you that." Know what? I've, it's Adventures League. I'm, okay, I just, it wasn't a great experience. I don't know if I would be a fan of staying at the same table all weekend again because one of the reasons I like to play D&D is to meet other D&D players. Right. There's, there's all kinds of people out there playing D&D. It's interesting to mm-hmm. to meet people, hear their story. Part of the reason we like to do the podcast too. Right. right. Was was the event successful? Was the charity, I mean, Yeah, I mean, they raised a well bunch funded. of money. Somebody gave up like a $5,000 cash donation. Wow. Yeah, okay. There's, there's some people who play D&D with, with some bucks, unlike when we were kids. Yeah. <laughs> we were lucky we were to, scra- to buy we a were paradise. We were passing the hat to order the pizza. Yes. But uh, it was it was fun, and there is something to be said for having that little sort of, it was a relatively in-close experience. Because mm-hmm. I traveled to a lot of conventions, there were other people there that I knew so it was sort of, you know, I wasn't close friends with them, but I see them pretty frequently. So that was an interesting. It, the fact that it was in the middle of nowhere, Hell, Michigan has no hotels, two bars kind of town. And so I had to actually stay 20 minutes away in a hotel. Yeah. Um, it was an interesting experience. I would like to see them do more of it. Okay. Because I think there's something to be said for that kind of event where, especially limiting the table size. And so the overall convention only had, what did you say, 75 to 100 people? It was about, I think they had 15 tables. They might have added a couple. Okay. So that would be 75 players. They actually had, for like the epics, they have characters, NPCs that dress up. And Pip Yap is this imp in hell. And they actually got a woman who's an actress. And you could tell she was an actress. I mean, she did it to the T. I have a picture. I'll post a picture on her. her Do you think she was a D&D player? No, she wasn't. She was a friend of a D&D player okay. that they brought in. But she just did a great job sort of hamming it up as this this demonic imp that mm. is sort of behind. The, the, the story was that this imp brought everybody together. and It's a long story, but it, it was really nice to, to them to put that much work and effort in something to make it sort of a high quality. They tried to recruit DMs that they knew were solid DMs. Uh, so it was good. Cool. Cool. Well, let's see. We, uh, if you go back a little bit further in time, or did you? No, was, we. I went to vote Pipiap first. Before, okay. Then let's fast forward in time a little bit. Both of us attended the Tabletop Central Game Convention that was the inaugural event, and it was held here in Champaign, Illinois. Um, I guess some people shouldn't say that we. What do we dox ourselves by saying where we're from? But. What the heck? <laughs> if someone wants to come camp out on my lawn, more power to them. Right. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Just look out for the dog poop. Yeah. yeah um, that's the backyard. Yeah, okay. Well, mine's in front and back with three dogs. You they, have some rabid squirrels. Um, <laughs> rabid squirrels. With my dogs, there are no squirrels. They're all dead. Yeah. Um, anyway, it was the Tabletop Central. It was the first one, and I don't know about you. But I thought they knocked it out of the park. I thought it was really well done. Yeah, it's hard. I see a lot of people strive to put conventions. I just read something online. Somebody was asking for help from other people because mm-hmm. they wanted to get a new convention going. I've been involved with the MageCon stuff now. Right. We put on two, already planning the third. 
It's not easy to no. get it up and running and have it that big the first year. Yeah, they had um, what were the numbers? A hundred and I think they had a hundred and fifty-three total people, and they had a hundred and fifty-five registered. Yeah, and more importantly, they ran a good variety of games. They did, and they had about six vendors there, mm-hmm. which is. A pretty decent turnout. And in addition to that, they actually had some playtesting of new games that had not yet been released or even produced yet. Yeah, I'm so. still not sure the people who organized it, what their connection to the to the bigger gaming world is. I probably know more of a connection than what we have to the gaming world. They just ask nicely and... I guess. They come out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So... I'm curious what to see the see what they'll do in the future. Mm-hmm. The one problem I sort of did have was it was held in a theater, right? Uh, yes. Uh, so they had taken out all the chairs. You had sort of the sloped floor, which was made it interesting. All of the tables had a little lift, lift on one them. side. Yeah. <laughs> but my issue was the acoustics. It was a little difficult at times. I didn't have too much of a problem at my table, but I wasn't running D&D. Yeah. Um, and you guys were up towards the front. We're right near the stage. Right where the stage was at. Yeah. And I guess, you know, a theater is made to amplify the sound in most cases. And then when they took out all the chairs, all the carpet, anything that would absorb the sound is gone. Is it worse than when I try to run at a big convention and, you know, I push my chair back and I hit the guy behind me's chair and I have 20 tables surrounding me with, you know, Grognard mm-hmm. screaming that they rolled a 20. You know, there's a lot of ambient noise there. This wasn't so much ambient noise, just amplified the noise that was there. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know what they're going to do about that. If they want to keep that in the same location, it's not going to be able to grow that much more either. They got a little space for growth. but Yeah, I- right. Because it is part of an active museum, a children's museum. And so they can't really spread out in the museum. The best they could do is spread it out over the length of time. They could maybe extend it a day or two, but either way. I ran uh, Crusaders Thy Will Be Done and a Memoir 44. Both were very successful. I did have an interesting experience with the Memoir game. It is a game that is supposed to be played with eight people. Only two people signed up, and I did find that that convention, there weren't a lot of people who wanted to get in on a game. They... Yeah, they, they just, showed up to they play, showed up the game to play a left. game yeah. and then left. Um, so there really wasn't a lot of people who wanted to get in on an active game. I did convince some people to get in on the Battlestar Galactica game that had some openings, and they loved it, but I wasn't running it. I just wanted to direct them to it. But I played that eight-player game, or I should say I GM'd that eight-player game with two players, and it worked out better than I thought. We just basically did everything that an eight-player game would do, but we just separated the board into three separate sections and then just kind of went right to left or left to right and played it out. It did take longer to play than we normally do. Normally I get to reset and play two games within the same session, but there was no way that was happening. That's one of the advantages of being really familiar with a game Mm -hmm. is you can sort of make those adjustments on the fly and it still works out really well. Yeah, and I know that you played a couple of Adventure League. Yeah, I ran a couple of Adventure League. There was a era of Orcus, verse 1 and 2. Apparently they just came out with a verse 3, a really popular... Yeah. series of sort of adventures with some really deadly combats, which is not as common in Adventures League. Yeah. They tend to be sort of powder puff combats a lot of time, but this guy or the people who put this together really, really up the challenge. Hmm. And there's some combats that will definitely TPK yeah. if you're not careful. So I, I will have to admit, uh, 
when you took a break, you turned to me because I was kind of sitting behind you. You said, I'm holding you responsible for all of my stuff here. Make sure none of it walks away. Well, I kind of wanted to play a little trick on you, but one of your players was still there, and he probably did not understand that you and I know (laughs) Know each each other. other. And I was like, "Uh, I need a piece of paper. I'm going to do something to to the, the GM. And he's like, no, you should not do that. Do not do that. And I'm like... You know, I'm not even going to bother with this because I didn't want to have to explain yeah, to him yeah. our relationship. Well, here's an idea for expansion. You know, last weekend we were right outside the place we gained for the Oktoberfest. Yes. And a week or two before that, in that same location, they had uh, alphabet people gathering the LBTQD. Yes. I don't even know all the letters now. LMNOP. Yeah. <laughs> um, which was also well attended. So that's what they need to do. They just need to sort of put those big white tents up and yes. then we could have a big gaming gathering yes. in downtown Champaign. I have no idea how much it costs to rent one of those big tents, but that is a good idea. Way, it would be a draw shine, for the town. Rain I, or shine, I, they'd I be there. I think they're the town tents because they look like the same tents both weekends. Yeah, I don't know. Oh. I don't know. Anyway, um, I did, however, on a downer note, get to play with my regular gaming group, a game of D&D. And as much as I... Love D&D. It's a big part of my past and is still a big part of my current... No, let me re-say that. It was a big part of my past and it is still a big part of my makeup. But this last game that I played... Ugh, Eric, I hate to say it, but I hated every fracking minute of it. Yeah, I go through I, phases myself. I could not wait for that game to end and I was the DM. And the players seemed to be having fun, although I did apologize to them at the end. I said... Man, I'm sorry. That was a bad game. It was bad to me. Apparently, it wasn't bad to them, so I guess I hit it very well. But, oh, I was to the point where it was like, when I closed that book and I turned the light off in the game room, I didn't care if I ever went back to another game of D&D again. Yeah, we should probably do a podcast on, like, gaming burnout because Mm -hmm. that does happen, and it's it's a thing. I don't want to say it's a serious mental illness (laughs) by any means. But I go through phases, even right now, I just have so much other stuff going on in my yeah. life. I just moved recently. I'm still right. got stuff in boxes. That, yeah. and, and we just finished a podcast that got a lot of responses about our what we consider to the warts to be for 5th edition. Yes. So that might have put us in a somewhat negative mindset because we're really focusing on the the negatives. I, I don't know. Maybe that did have something to do with it. Um, and I don't want to reiterate what we did in the last podcast, so go back and listen to it if you want to. But I think it was, I had that mindset of that whole snowflake, I wish it was OD&D or first, D, first edition D&D in my head. And maybe that's what kind of soured it for me. If I didn't run as much Adventures League, I would make some pretty dramatic changes to my home game in mm-hmm. terms of the rules. Yeah. I would go with that hardcore rust mechanic. I would probably yank out counter spell regardless of everybody's opinion <laughs> that it, that it belongs in D&D. Yeah. There was there's some things that I would I would prefer to yeah. up, up the challenge level, make it more deadly because I think that's more rewarding for players when you advance. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be a maybe I'm running it wrong or maybe my players are too smart, but they just don't ever seem to feel the threat of real adverse effects to, you know, meeting a monster or, yeah. or a trap or something like that. They just know how to get around it. And maybe I just need to deadly it up. Yeah, I guess. Whatever. I, I, I max hit points on yeah. monsters almost every battle now mm-hmm. just to to make it more. Right. Yep. 
Well, I walked out of that basement thinking, man, there are so many other games that I enjoy playing more, and it doesn't take that much time and, and setup and everything like that, although the setup really isn't as big of a deal. Most board games now take about a half hour to set up. But anyway, I do think I will be going back to D&D. I think I'm just going to go back at it with a different type of mindset and maybe a different plan on how I deal with it. So Sounds we'll good. see what happens. Well, that was our segment, Games People Play. All right, it's time to get into The Monk. And yeah. before we start, I have to say, when I started D&D and the Monk character came out, I had absolutely no desire to even look at it. I told the game, uh, the guys I gamed with, no monk will ever be in my game. I don't know why. If I was to think about it seriously, it was probably because I was a kind of a Eurocentric gamer. And my idea of the monk was the Franciscan or the Benedictine yeah. monks yeah. who sat around and made beer and studied the Bible and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's right? what our DM dealt with in the beginning of the podcast yes that's, that's very true european monk we're going to talk about that too but yeah i played a monk in first edition but i actually played a dragon magazine version of the monk which we'll mm -hmm. also sort of talk about in one second i played it for many years that was my my character in college one of my characters in college uh was trent that, stonefist is that the only monk you've ever played i believe so yeah I i've don't. never even bothered to look at the chapter for the monk I, i'm totally honest here <laughs> i'm well, going to know more about the monk now than i've ever known about before well let's talk about the history which is sure. actually pretty short even though the class itself when we get to fifth edition is is rather expansive in its but it's abilities. also kind of interesting too it is so original DD, the monk was created by brian bloom mm -hmm. he was one of the founders of tsr with with gary gygax and don k don k died i believe it was a heart attack a couple years after tsr started right uh, the Blooms frequently have a negative connotation with their name because yeah. they're the ones who sort of wrestled control of TSR from Gary back in the day. There and was, we're not going to debate we're that. We're not going to go into that. But we don't hear a lot about either of the Blooms historically. Mm -hmm. uh, we, there are a lot of names come up, some of whom we might very well have on the podcast in the near future. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we don't hear Brian Bloom very much. So he wanted to play a monk. So he came up. With that now, the reason Blooms were in TSR was because his dad paid for the original run of the original Dungeons and Dragons. He box. was the financer. Yeah, and it was a couple thousand dollars or something. Yeah, he was also the one who cut the deal with Games Workshop in the UK to distribute Dungeons and Dragons, and they also generated a ton of content. And if you think back to that era, yes. just as a quick aside, it was sort of weird that you had TSR in America and Games Workshop sort of did their own thing over in the UK with with the brand yeah they had a lot more leeway than i would have expected did you get any of the uk modules yeah yeah, yeah. The, they were interesting and they were kind of weird yeah the, a lot of them were very <laughs> weird they had the alice in wonderland series yes. i think that was a uk yeah. series mm -hmm. dungeon land is what that was called i think was it yeah well there's one that had mirror in the title but yeah. if you ever want to see you know go online find those pdfs and and you'll see what we're talking about but it's sort of a parallel development for that. But Brian Bloom was the one who who cut that deal with them. So apparently, and here's another, you know, we find surprising things out when we do research for the podcast. He was inspired by the Destroyer series of novels, which have a character named Remo Williams. And there was 
a movie in the mid 80s. Remo Williams, and apparently he was a government operative, and mm-hmm. there's been like 150 of these Destroyer series. Really? I've never heard of these novels, which Me? is surprising. I've because, heard of Remo Williams, but never the Destroyer series. Yeah, and it's funny what you find out, because even though if I don't know something, maybe not read, I've at least heard of it. Right, you would think that the two of us, as being as voracious readers as we were back then, that we would have encountered yeah. them, but never. But they, they're not... They're not fantasy. They're uh, spy, government right. operative spy sort of novels. Now, this Remo Williams character knew martial arts. He was trained by a master. So that's sort of where Brian got the idea. And the class actually came out in the Blackmore Supplement, uh, 1975. So not in the original box, mm-hmm. but one of the supplements that followed soon thereafter. And like you said earlier, it's anomalous – in the game because <laughs> it's an Eastern archetype. Right. This whole concept of an Eastern, you know, martial arts monk in a Western medieval yeah. feudal setting. When I heard of the word monk, I thought immediately of, as I said, the Benedictine, the Franciscan type monks. But then the character class was more of a David Carradine type of Kung Fu monk. Yeah. And I was like, that's not going to go in my world. Yeah, and it, that's the pro- a lot of people had that issue because later on we added stuff like samurai and ninja, mm-hmm. either as a part of a Dragon Magazine article or when Oriental Adventures came right. out. But early on, it was paladin, fighter, magic user, cleric. The cleric was a, a Western version, you know. Right. We've, we've talked about mm-hmm. that. And then all of a sudden you just stick in this this martial arts using character yeah. called a monk. It didn't really fit. It didn't fit. It, it felt wrong to me. And I'm not trying to say that I, you know, had any disaffection for, you know, Asian culture or anything like that. It just, it wasn't going to work. Yeah. My, all my world building was kind of Conan, Lord of the Rings, Arthurian. Yeah, it would be like trying to drop it into Lord of the Rings yeah. all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> some Shaolin <laughs> right. dude in the Shire. Right. Uh, yeah, it doesn't fit. But, you know, it's funny because we have our take on what we think it would sound like if we fit Kung Fu <laughs> into a and d game. Right. Right? Why, so, so why don't we give that a listen? All right, here we go. Walk the rice paper as softly as you can. Oh, this will be easy. I'm going to take my normal 40-foot move, use my action to move, and then use my bonus action to dash that I got from those two levels I dipped in the rope. Be careful not to tear it. Wait, what? Is this some sort of skills test? Man, no problem. I have a plus 11 to stealth. Ugh, I got a 14. Still not bad, though, right? Turn around. Look at the paper. What the hell, man? How often am I going to be sneaking on frickin' rice paper? What was the DC anyway? If I would have known about this rice paper stuff, I would have put more points into stealth. When you can walk the rice paper without tearing it, then your steps will not be hurt. Wait, 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 wait. What? You can't be serious. I don't get to move silently until I can complete some total arbitrary test that you pulled out of your butt? The player's handbook clearly states that I can conceal myself from enemies, slink past guards, slip away without being noticed, or sneak up on someone without being seen or heard. Seen or heard. Not one word about rice paper. Man, this game blows. I quit. Uh, you know, that monk, 
You sound a little bit like a rules lawyer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> doesn't doesn't really work. That you yeah. know that rice paper thing is pretty unfair, really, mm-hmm. when you think about it. Yeah. I don't. I've never tried to walk on rice paper. I'm not even really sure I know why it would be hard to walk on rice paper. I wondered about that too because I'm like, is rice paper really that? Thin? Is it like wet rice paper? <laughs> well, that would be that would be a problem. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Are you using Sticky rice? Yeah. Are you using like running cleats? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure why rice paper leaves. I don't know, yeah. but yeah, it's it would be a challenge. So, so that's the the original ODD note. Now, in first edition, it was included in the player's handbook. It was one of the the core classes, but a lot of people considered it the weakest class in first edition and i have to back that up because there's a rule in the dmg and i I have to find the reference to it but buried somewhere in the dungeon master's guide is a rule that says if you die and get resurrected you get 1500 experience points and we used to joke that the best way to play a monk (laughs) is to roll him up (laughs) kill yourself get resurrected so you can start a second level because first edition monks were abysmal to play. Honestly, I could not tell you. I Again, I never bothered looking at it. So the first thing is they have four-sided hit dice. So you have the equal strength of a wizard, but you're in the front line of combat for the most part. And in D&D, remember, in original D&D, you hit zero, you're dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was no death-saving throws. So one good longsword swing, and you're dead. <laughs> it just kills you. Right. So your your chances for survival, now that wouldn't be too bad, except also at first level, your armor class is 10. You yeah. can't wear armor and you have a 10 armor class. Even with the dexterity, that's going to drop it down to six. You're getting hit left and right with your four hit points. How did monks even survive? They didn't. That's, <laughs> that was the joke. You know, they 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 had a lot of stuff we continue to see, their open hand attack mm-hmm. that increases, they increase in levels. They got a whole slew of special abilities. But and they got increased movement speed, but it was really tough to survive through that first level as a monk. The other thing I love is you know how fighters got you know one attack around and then they got three every two, so right. every other round you would get an extra attack. Mm-hmm. At fourth level, monks got five attacks every four rounds. <laughs> that would make fifth edition players' heads explode. Yes, they it would. would have to track. <laughs> Four combat rounds so they could get their extra attacks. Yes. So yeah. all those peculiarities from, from not often does does combat last for five no. rounds. Usually so. combat's <laughs> over in three rounds or so. Yeah. So first edition was just tough. Now they in Dragon Magazine fifty three, which was pretty early, that would have been early eighties, they offered a revision of the monk class because mm-hmm. it was everybody knew it was too weak. It just didn't work. And that's the one I ended up playing, and a lot of people drifted to to that. Then Oriental Adventures was released, and again, it revised the monk class. And in that one, they added styles of martial arts. So right. you could be karate yeah, or, you know. Ishinru or something yeah, like whatever. that. Yeah. I mean, I think it was more general than that. Yeah. I should have brought my, my Oriental Adventures. But. Did Oriental Adventures go over well? I don't recall. We played it. We loved playing it. Did you? For we played like a little mini short campaign. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to remember Shogun. Right. That was big out. at that point. You yeah. know, there there was so there's I don't know if I would want to play a years long campaign. Mm-hmm. Some people might. I mean, if you're really into feudal Japan. Yeah. 
I remember a friend of mine picking up the uh, role-playing game. I think it was a role-playing game called Bushido. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Which was basically all yeah. uh, oriental-based uh, role-playing. Well, this, that was the era when, I've, and I've told this anecdote before, but in case anybody missed it, I'll regale you again. My friend Eric was playing a samurai, mm-hmm. and he had to deliver the message to another lord, and he thought it would be beneath his station to deliver the message himself. But all this is going in on inside his head as an internal conversation, and everybody else is talking about something else. And he turns to the guy next to him and says, do I have AIDS? <laughs> and this is in the <laughs> middle of the full-blown AIDS crisis. And we all just stopped. And we said, gee, we don't know. <laughs> so in retrospect, it's it's sort of amusing, you know. That, so only in the 80s. <laughs> only in the 80s. You have to have lived through it. We can look back and sort of laugh about it now. But it was it was an awkward moment among five college guys when, when one of your I don't know, do you? <laughs> asked you if he has AIDS. Uh, so he quickly clarified himself. <laughs> That's so funny. we did play play Oriental Adventures. It's a lot of fun. Um, now it was also available. The Monk class was also available in the boxed, the basic editions. You know, the Beckme. Yeah. And there it was called the Mystic mm-hmm. because they had they, they wanted to change yeah. it. I guess I don't know. Now second edition, and I had forgotten this. They dropped Monk. They, really? They removed Monk from second edition. See, this is how oblivious to the Monk I was. I didn't know they yeah. had dropped it. I was like, oh, okay. And they stuck it under the cleric <laughs> class, or the priest, maybe hmm. they called it. Yeah, it was a priest class in second edition, maybe. And they could it could be a kit, so you could do it as a kit. But then, and this is where we get this small D&D world thing going on, it was reintroduced in a supplement called Faiths and Avatars, and this supplement gets major street cred for turning the Forgotten Realms pantheon into like a cohesive whole because mm-hmm. it was all just random crap. And that was actually written by Julia Martin and Eric Boyd. And Julia Martin was my DM all through college. Oh, really? Yeah. So cool. I don't know where she's at now, but she she worked on this supplement. I see it mentioned a lot when whenever you do a Google search for Forgotten Realms, any of the gods or anything, people will Wait often refer second. to it. So you're saying that your DM all through college right yeah is the person responsible for kind of codifying the whole forgotten realms yeah pantheon which probably helped get forgotten realms a little bit of a boost to become more popular than Greyhawk. it was already pretty popular yeah ironically in college because I mean, you are not a forgotten realms fan well, you are a Greyhawk yes, fan but in college she didn't play we didn't play forgotten realms she oh. played a home home world okay so it's sort of sort of music but i would like to think that's Trent Stonefist, the mm-hmm. monk I played in her campaign in college. Maybe he made a little part of him made it into that re <laughs> reintroduction of the monk class in, in that uh, Faiths and Avatars supplement. If you ever connect up with her again, you'll have to ask. Yeah, last I think she ended up working for Microsoft. Yeah. She was woman of many talents. The so. worst thing that could happen is she would say, "You're yeah. who?" We don't actually <laughs> want to find her because she would probably be like, "Oh my God, that guy." Yeah, I ran his mm-hmm. character. Yeah. Yep. So we had uh, – it was reintroduced there, and that's when they started – they gave them some priest spells. So now they sort of gave them magical abilities, and then they had the unarmed attack and defense. But they didn't have anything – any of the other special abilities that they had previously. They basically stripped it down to more of a priesty kind of monk with martial arts. 
Then they reintroduced it again in the Scarlet Brotherhood supplement, which is a Greyhawk supplement. Thank you very much. A Scarlet Brotherhood is sort of like monks and Nazi Germany in my mind. Like it's a very strange, it's a yeah. peninsula and, and it figures largely in the Greyhawk Wars stuff. But they were have always been known as the home of monks. Was this a, uh, a Gygax creation, the Scarlet Brotherhood? Most likely. I mean, it was from Greyhawk. Which so. is, the Scarlet Brotherhood is what uh, Valeria was a member of in the Conan series. Oh, well, that probably has to that's do with That's what it. I... Plagiarize, plagiarize, I, that's why God made your eyes. Right. Yeah, so it's it's always been a really interesting area that wasn't developed a whole lot until they came out with that supplement, but it has always been known as the home of, like, the monks. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of quasi-evil monks, but monks nonetheless. So... Third edition came out, and I could not for the life of me remember how third edition treated the monks. I had to dig through all my stuff in, that's in boxes still. You need to quit moving. So Pull out my, yeah, stuff. no kidding. Pull out my third edition player's handbook. I actually found my 3.5, which is what most people ended up playing. Right, yeah. And surprisingly, it's very similar to the fifth edition monk. A lot of the abilities we're going to talk about really? were there in 3.5. They hmm. have the same names. Largely the same effects. If anything, they've removed some, but almost every ability they now give monks in 5th edition was available in 3.5, which is interesting. I mean, I guess it shouldn't surprise us because we know when they were developing 5, they took a good look at past iterations of D&D and tried to sort of pull the stuff they liked and and leave the shaft behind, so to speak. So... I'm not going to cover a lot of 3.5 because a lot of it we're going to be talking about in, in their 5th edition abilities. 4th edition, which we normally say the only good thing to come out of 4th edition was the bloodied mechanic. In the case of Monk, they introduced Key or Kai. Some people say Kai. I say Key. I say Key. Yeah. I yeah. believe Key is probably the more common pronunciation. Yeah. And they that's when they also sort of turn them into a psionic striker. Like they use their, their Key or sort of quasi-psionic mm-hmm. abilities to up their things, which... Fits in with, like, the old Hong Kong action movies. You know, monks running up walls 30 feet. Realistically, you can't do that without drawing on some supernatural, mystic, magic, something going on. I don't know why this came into my head, but you and I are both children of the 80s. Um, Or late 70s. Yeah, I was going to say, that's giving us some, but go ahead. Um, Hong Kong Fui, what level monk do you think he was? He was a number one superstar. (laughs) Quicker than the human eye. Uh, yeah, Hong Kong Fu, he, it was mostly his, his sidekick. That, it was his sidekick, the cat, wasn't it? The, was it a cat or a dog? I thought it was a cat. Might have been. But I, mean, I think it was a cat, yeah. yeah. And then uh, he would always save Hong Kong Fu, and Hong and then, Kong Fu would be oblivious. Yes, and thought he did it all. Yeah, any of our younger listeners, Google Hong Kong Fu. <laughs> number uh, one super guy. Number one super Quicker than the human eye. All right. I'm sorry for distracting you on that. (laughs) So fourth edition did introduce that concept, which you really need. You need to be like, okay, this is some sort of supernatural ability they're drawing on. So that gets us to our current state, fifth edition monks. They have a ton of abilities, which I like. I actually sort of like that you get all this weird stuff. There is a lot of it. And if you folks could see this outline that Eric put together, there's, hmm, I don't think my uh, Roman numeral knowledge goes up that high. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah so first level they get that unarmored defense they're they're, instead of their first edition AC of 10 plus their dex bonus Mm -hmm. your AC is now 
10 plus your dex plus your wisdom. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 but it turns you into a multi-stat character. Yeah. You need dex and you need wisdom mm-hmm. to play a monk. Right. You get your martial arts ability. So you're, uh, you can use unarmed strikes or monk weapons, and they do a D4 damage, which goes up, and you can take an unarmed strike as a bonus action, which makes sense because... Two-weapon fighting, you can attack with a weapon in your offhand as a bonus action. So they're just basically saying you're proficient in your hands. One thing other editions pointed out that this edition doesn't necessarily point out, but it's a sensible interpretation, is monks can continue to attack even if they have their hands full So because they can use their feet. So other editions specifically said even when a monk's hands are, are unavailable, either because they're holding stuff or they're bound, they can attack with their feet, with their head. Like, they, they gave them that, that leeway. See, is- here's the thing about that, and I don't want to debate it, but don't you think a fighter who's been living his entire life learning how to fight could do the same darn thing? Not to the same effect. I mean, we've both fought in the yeah. SCA. Yeah, against an armored well, opponent, if you kick somebody or you headbutt, that's not the same as a martial arts-style monk. Again, this is a supernatural yes, ability. I get it. It's going to actually cause a lot of damage. A fighter could do an improvised attack and do one hit, mm-hmm. one point of damage plus strength bonus. Yeah. They're, and that's reasonable. So I think it still works. Yeah, but if he slams his armored helmet, he, helmeted head into your face, I'd be given a little that's, bit more of, yeah. No, I, I think one plus strength is reasonable. Okay, well. If you want to make it a finesse attack, you can let him use dex, but... Yeah. <laughs> All right, sorry. Just. Yeah. Okay, so at second level, they get their key ability. Mm-hmm. Now they've they've mastered it, and they get a couple things they can do with that. Uh, they get Flurry of Blows, so instead of taking one attack as a bonus action, they can use a key and end up getting two attacks. And a lot of new players mess this up because they take their, their extra attack from their base ability, and then they Flurry of Blows and think they get two more attacks. But in fact, both of those use your bonus action. The... Step of the Wind, which increases your movement speed, lets you disengage automatically, gives you a little extra little extra movement. And the one I don't see nearly so much is Patient Defense. That one lets you use a key point and take the dodge action. And smart players use this ability because dodge is incredibly powerful. Usually it takes your action, but with Patient Defense, you can actually just use it as a bonus action. And one key point and give everybody disadvantage to hit you for the, for the rest of the round, which is sort of nice. Again, they get increased movement like monks have always got increased movement. It's, they give a 10-foot bonus. It gradually increases up to 30-foot bonus. So they would have a 60-foot base movement at mm-hmm. 18th level. At 9th level, they gain the ability to move along vertical surfaces and liquids on your turn without falling during the move. And... Again, a lot of people misinterpret this, and you can interpret it any way you want, right? Rulings, not rules. But my impression is that that does not mean I can move 30 foot or 40 feet up a 100-foot wall, end my turn, and next turn move another 40 right. feet. You don't fall during works. the move. Once the move is over, you fall. So it doesn't let them just scale sheer surfaces yes yeah. it's it's like the uh, american ninja warrior thing where they yeah. go up the wall they got to be hanging on to something or yeah you have to down. make it or you're coming yeah. back down liquids when they say liquids i would not interpret that as walking on water yeah i think that's like running across it like 
I think that's what they want like to do. One of those little, what do they call them? Like Jesus, the flo- frogs or the lizards Jesus, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The Jesus lizards. Yeah. Seriously? I, well, that was part of that martial arts deal. They could like run across a liquid surface. Again, it's limited by their how far they can move. You're not running across Lake Michigan right. or, or the near div yeah. or near dive. <laughs> uh, but you can you can run across a river. I mean, that's sort of cool. Okay. And it's mostly yeah. flavor. Yeah. You know, there are some places where it would be tactically advantageous, but you're not going to use it a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Third level, you pick up your monastic tradition, and these are all the way of these. We're going to talk about those in a little bit. You also get deflect missiles. This is sort of cool. You can use your reaction to reduce the damage of a missile that hits you, and the damage reduction is 1d10 plus your dex bonus plus your monk level. And if you reduce that damage to zero, you can then use a key point to throw that missile back at somebody. (laughs) Again, you know, it has a range of 2060, and it's going to do your... It's going to act like a monk weapon, so it's going to do the damage equal to your monk weapon. Not a hugely powerful ability, but just sort of cool. A lot of this stuff with monks is more about flavor and being like you're in a Jackie Chan movie more than anything else, mm-hmm. is my impression. Now, they get your, your ability score increases 4, 8, 12, 16, and 19, like every other, well, most other classes. At fourth level, you get slow fall. This has been, a, you know, again, a call back to earlier versions of the monk. You can reduce your falling damage by five times your monk level. You're already fourth level by the time you get that, so you're reducing your damage by 20 feet. If you're rolling 3.5 for a D6, that's almost 70-foot fall. You're going to take a point and a half of damage right, or something like that, whatever the math works out to be. Still, very very little damage for a 70-foot fall. 50 feet or less, you're probably not taking any damage. So that's that's sort of cool. Fifth level, you get your extra attack, which is nice. But in monks, not quite as important because and this is one of the reasons i don't like playing monks you get a lot of little dice you get a lot of attacks and the attacks don't do a ton of damage you're rolling d4s and d6s and it does gradually increase so when you get the extra attack okay i get one more set of little attacks it has more of an effect on stunning strike which we're going to talk about Mm -hmm. (laughs) the very next thing which you also get at fifth level so when you hit with a creature, uh, hit a creature with an attack, you can spend a key, force that creature to make a con saving throw, and if they fail, they're stunned until the end of your next turn. And stunned creatures, everybody has advantage to hit them. They miss, every, they don't get to do anything. We've talked about how I do not like stunning strike. I, I think it's too powerful as written, yeah. and it minimizes a lot of the combats. It's just silly in, in my book. Because people say, well, you know, a legendary dragon gets three legendary resistances. Yeah, that's great. But a monk gets four attacks in one round at fifth level. They get their two for the attack action. They flurry of blows. They get two more. If they hit with all four of those attacks, they can force four saving throws Mm -hmm. and theoretically burn through legendary resistances. Now, dragons tend to have good constitution, so they would probably make a lot of those saves. But they, I I just don't like the fact that it negates the monster not just until the end of its next turn, but until the end of the monk's next turn. Okay, so at level six, they get empowered strikes, which is sort of required because monks are never going to get magic weapons, so their regular attacks are now considered magical attacks. So for creatures that you need magical attacks for, they can do that. 
Seventh level, they get evasion, which, you know, reduces your damage for any area of effect, dex right. base, saving saves. That's a that's also a throwback. That's been around for, for years and years and through the additions. Seventh level, they also get stillness of mind. This, again, not a fan of this. They can use an action to end a charmed or frightened effect. Unless you got nothing else to do, that's a waste of an action. Hmm. They should let them use a bonus action maybe to end that or a reaction or something. But having to suck up your whole action because you're gonna probably going to get another saving throw. Now, if I get some charms, you don't get to that, those additional saves. Correct. But most frights, which is more common, you get to save. So who knows? I, I guess charm, I guess it's accurate because otherwise you would be doing something you didn't want to do. But now you get into the question of can you use an action to end if you're charmed and you're under the control of somebody else? Who knows? <laughs> Leave that I haven't up to thought the that DM. one through. Yeah, leave that up to the DM in charge at that point. And again, all all these abilities actually go back pretty far in the additions, at least to three, and some of them go all the way back to first. Well, you were saying that many of what we see in the fifth edition was in 3.5. Yeah, and some of it went all the way back to first. So 10th level, purity of body, they become immune to poison and disease. Eh, that's good. 13th level, tongue of the sun and moon. Strange title. They can understand all spoken languages, and any creature that has a language can understand you. Hmm. And that has a very sort of, again, Asian movies. These monks come out of the hills and can just talk to everybody. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be sort of cool. At 14th level, Diamond Soul. You have pro- you're proficient in all saving throws. That's pretty good because you're going to end up with like, what, plus five proficiency bonus? Yeah, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. And they can use a key point to re-roll a failed save, but they have to use the new roll, which why wouldn't you if you already failed it? Uh, I, you might not know the, the DC, I guess. But so basically monks are going to be making a lot of saves, which reminds me of what we used to do with my monk in first edition. We didn't have a rogue in the group. So anytime we would have traps, this is obviously when we were higher <laughs> Send level. Send the monk forward. I would strip down naked except for my rings of protection and my cloak of protection, <laughs> and I would run through the trap because <laughs> monks have always had really good saving throws, yeah. and I was immune to a lot of stuff. So that still holds true at higher levels. Frightening image. <laughs> yes. yes. It was actually my character getting naked, not me. I mean, I used to take off all my clothes as well just to role play, but I wasn't required to. I don't want. I don't want to know what type of role playing you were doing there. (laughs) Yeah. So, at fifteen, they get timeless body. They don't have any aging effects, so they stay whatever they appear to be, whatever age they are. Now, in early editions, you actually had minuses when you age. Well, you got some pluses too. You get increase in wisdom, and your your physical stats went down, and your mental stats sort of went up. But they also had that adjustment if you're a female character. But you no no longer need food or water. Yeah, which is strange. Yeah. From like a a, a science perspective. Exactly. I don't care how much you are in tune with your body. You cannot, you have to have fuel. Yeah, I may do that. Do they stop sweating? I mean, they just. Do they stop crapping and peeing and everything? (laughs) That'll make no damn sense. Yeah. Yeah. Now, here's the interesting, other interesting part about that. You still die of old age. Right, yeah. So you're okay, just... Okay, so you're immune to poison Twenty-one. Disease, you don't old. need food or water. <laughs> yes. Like, and you're per, you look like you're a 20-something, yeah. and then one day you just keel over. <laughs> well, you want to talk about confusing the coroner? Uh-huh. 
Like, leave a leave a good corpse. I don't know. He about has the that internal one. organs of a seventy eight year old man. I don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah. So again, it's more of a you know a role play sort mm-hmm. of ribbon ribbon ability. Optimistic that you're going to live that long. <laughs> True, you <laughs> are. You are an adventurer who, who dies of old age is an adventurer. Yeah, exactly. At eighteenth level, you get empty body. You can spend four key, and by this point, you have like eighteen key. So four is not too bad. To turn invisible for one minute and gain resistance to all damage except for force, because there's only three creatures who have any resistance or immunity to force damage. So they're not going to give it to monks. Uh, and that's interesting because you don't turn visible when you attack, apparently. It's not like the invisibility spell, from what I can tell. In what way? You become just invisible. You just become invisible. Now, I don't no know. Matter I'd what have to you look do. to see if there's a specific rule that says, well, you're invisible. If you attack, you become visible. But I don't believe there is. I think that's part of the invisibility spell. The way, as written, huh. become invisible for one minute. Yeah. So it's like a greater invisibility, essentially. Now, hmm. the other thing you can do is you can spend eight key to astrally project, oh. which I guess could come in handy at some point. But you can only take yourself. You can't take your buddies with you. There's no monk monk gathering. Well, there could be a monk gathering in the astral plane if they all individually astrally projected. But no monks, non-monks allowed. Finally, at 20th level, you get perfect self. And if you have... That's what Eric thinks he is right yeah. now. He thinks he's a 20th level monk. No, I, I don't want to be a 20th level monk. Because as a capstone ability, this ability blows. Yeah. It really, so if you have no key when you roll for initiative, you gain four key. Woohoo! What? Whoop de doo. Yeah. All right. I'm wow, gonna. That's not cool. I'm gonna sum all of this stuff up. That if you are into manga, yeah. this is what. Yeah. The if monk you love is. those those cheesy martial arts movies from Hong Kong, or the martial art commercial uh, cartoons that you see, you know, yeah. the, the manga cartoons. That's what this stuff is. Yeah. And it's always been that. Yeah. Truthfully, it's been those you know cheesy Hong Kong martial arts movies from the get go. Yeah. The cartoons might have came later, but. It's the same sort of idea. And again, Brian Bloom, that's what he wanted to play. Well, he wanted to play the the Destroyer secret agent, uh, which I'll have to check that out at some point. I don't even remember the... the... Was the movie actually based on the books? Yeah. Okay. Uh, But they only made one movie. And I always thought it was, uh, when I read it, Remo Williams, I was thinking Repo Man. I was like, what the hell does that have to do (laughs) with anything? Uh, I always think of Fred Ward, so... Whoever that is. Fred Ward? Fred Ward was uh, in the Remo Williams movie. That was the guy that played Remo Williams. Okay. Really? So, see, Greg wasn't, he came in a little late, so he missed our movie. He would be the movie expert that would would recall this movie. I did pay to see it. Okay. (laughs) Wow. So, we get into the ways, your your monks, what do they call it, school, or I forget what, monastic tradition, they call it. Okay, so way of the open hand at third level... You get open hand technique. So when you hit with your flurry of blow attack, either of them, you get to choose one of these three options. You can make force a target to make a dex saving throw, and you have to um, actually hit with, with the flurry attack, not with your regular attacks. So make a dex saving throw or the target falls prone. Yep. You can make them make a strength saving throw or push them up to 15 feet, or you can make them lose reactions until the end of your turn. Those are pretty good. Yeah. You know, there you can knock in somebody prone again. That's very dependent on your initiative order when the monster goes. If they go right before you, everybody's gonna get to smack them with advantage, except for those ranged people. But they should get in a melee anyway and not be wusses. <laughs> so, six level, 
you get wholeness of body, you can heal three times your monk level. And you do that once per long rest. So it's sort of mm-hmm. like that fighter's ability mm-hmm. to, to heal themselves. Oh, that's cool. At 11th level, you get tranquility. At the end of a long rest, you gain sanctuary, like the spell, until your next long rest, which is the one that says people, monsters have to make a wisdom saving throw to even attack you. And it doesn't take an action on their really? part or anything. Huh. I don't know how I feel about that, because if you're like a melee fighter... And the monster can choose between you and the wizard, but you have this sanctuary ability on you, <laughs> and they fail their save, so they go beat on the wizard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes it makes sense. If you're standing next to the fighter, yeah, now, sure. Is that an action? Is the sanctuary an action, or is that just something that That's you That's just you up. That's just up. Okay. And the monster, if they want okay. to attack you, they make that save. If they fail, right. they can attack somebody okay. else. So the wizard never stands anywhere close to the monk well, at that point. Well, I, I don't know. I mean... I see this a lot in Adventures League 2 because there's not as much teamwork and pretty much everybody wants to minimize damage. And there's times where I've been playing and I'm like, dude, you have a 21 armor class and the most hit points. Why are you running away from battle and leaving all the light, more lightly armored and less healthy characters to take the attacks. Well, I'm playing in the next session, and yeah. I, I got to go in the next session. Clean, yeah, you're man. like, you're a paladin. Like, get in there and yeah. do what you do, which is a lot of times taking damage. Mm-hmm. Like, you can heal yourself. You got to lay on hands. Like, so it's the same thing with monks. Like, sometimes you want to be the target of the attack, and Sanctuary sort of interferes with that. So I'm not a big fan of that one. Uh, at 17, you get Quivering Palm. Now, we didn't see that. Uh, we saw that originally. I don't know. They didn't have it in 3.5. They got rid of it. But essentially, if you hit a target and you spend three key, this you set up some sort of like vibrations in the target's body. And for the next amount of days equal to your monk level. Yes, which lasts for the number of days equal to yeah, your monk you can, level. You can use an action to force the target to make a con save. If they fail, they drop to zero hit points. If they make it, they take 10d10 necrotic, which is probably about 55 hit points of damage, which would kill a lot of lesser creatures anyway. You can only have this active on one creature at a time. So I like I sort of like this ability because it's it's throwback ability. We saw it in first edition. And it also does damage, so I could trigger it right away with my next action if I wanted to. Wait a second. Are you saying, is this saying that if you succeed in doing this, a creature with 110 hit points, if it fails its constitution... Drops to zero. Which, this is how you wow. use it. You find that big bad guy, you smack him in the forehead with your quivering palm, set up these and go, okay, well, let's talk. This is what I need you to do. <laughs> and they go, and if you don't do it, Guess what? I'm just going to kill you. Now, you don't know for sure that that they're going to die, but if it's a creature with less than Uh. 55 hit points, they probably will. Now, in the first edition, they also had... This is this is the, the reading from first edition. The last ability gained, and perhaps the most terrible, is the fabled attack which enables the monk to set up vibrations in the body of the victim. And the monk can then can then control such vibrations as to cause death to occur when the monk stops them. Known as the quivering palm, the monk merely touches his victim to set up the deadly vibrations. The monk can be the victim can be virtually any creature. The power is limited as followers. You only got it once per week. You have to touch within three Melee rounds of invoking the power, or it's uh, drained for one week. Doesn't affect undead or creatures that are only hit by magic. They cannot have more hit points than the monk using the power, so it has to be 
Oh, so it's not effective against level. somebody. This is for first edition, oh, that's just not edition. current. Oh, okay. And the command to die must be given within a set time limit. So very much similar, mm-hmm. but in first edition, you just killed the target. I like that first edition thing where you cannot be more than the hit points of the... Of yeah, the it does, does limit. But you know, there's not a lot of abilities like that. Yeah. So it's sort of cool. I'm glad they they kept that because it's a neat... But they also get a save, and at high levels, con saves tend to be pretty high. So odds are the creature is going to make their con save. So it's not as powerful as you would you might think. But it's good role play ability because you can you can use it to influence lackeys. You know, that guardsman that, that stops you and wants to arrest your rogue. Just smack him with the quivering palm. Say, okay, well, we're going to leave the city and you're not going to do anything about it because if you do, you're dead. You're dead. So that's way of the open hand. Then you also they also had way of the shadow. At third level, you get shadow arts. You can spend two key to essentially cast darkness, dark vision, pass without trace, or silence, and you gain the minor illusion cantrip. Those are all really useful spells. Uh, if you were going to pick four spells, that's that's pretty good four. Now, obviously, they're they all have a common theme. If I was going to pick any four spells, it'd be a different list. But for for the sort of shadow theme. Those are nice spells. At 6th level, you get Shadow Step, also sort of a cool ability. You can use a bonus action to teleport up to 60 feet, but it has to be from a darker dim space to a darker dim space. And you also get advantage on your next melee attack. And that's a bonus action. So you could be bopping around sort of Nightcrawler style. Bamfin, I guess it would be for Nightcrawler. Yeah, Bamf. 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 That's sort of cool. I like abilities that let you move around the battlefield. Now, it is somewhat limited to that dim dim light, but most adventuring groups travel around in darkness because they have That's an aversion fair. to torches, apparently. At 11th level, Cloak of Shadows. <laughs> 11th level, Cloak of Shadows. If it's dim or dark light, you can use an action to become invisible until you attack, cast a spell, or end up in bright light. So that invisibility goes goes away as soon as you do something. No, but it lasts forever until you step into bright light or... Like, an invisibility spell is, is either a minute or an hour, depending whether it's greater or regular. And it's concentration. This is just, hey, I'm invisible until I walk into bright light or attack. That's that's pretty good. And 17th level, an opportunist. If a creature within five feet of you is hit by a melee, I can use my reaction to then make a melee attack. Which is going to be pretty much almost every round. Yeah. Now, the problem is monk attacks are sort of wimpy. But, you know, and you don't get your attack action. You get one attack. But it could be a stunning strike. Because anytime you hit, you could use those those key points to empower your, your strike. So, I really like the way of the shadow. Maybe it's just, maybe I'm biased. I like all things dark and evil. But... That's a, that's a yeah. nice... And you still get all the myriad monk abilities we talked about before we started talking about the ways. The last one is the way of the four elements. And this has a bunch of stuff associated with it, but essentially you get elemental disciplines that you get to pick. You get one at third level, and then you get to pick an additional 6, 11, and 17. And they're very similar to the Warlock Invocations. They let you simulate ability spells or abilities, give you special abilities. And then you can also, you gain spells that you can use key to cast and upcast. More of a sort of a, a mystical magic using monk 
than anything else. The elemental thing sort of ties into the Hong Kong version of the, you know, the monk. But there's there's a lot of options in there, and I don't want to go into all of them because there's, you know, we don't have that much time, honestly. If that's your thing and you want to be able to cast some spells as part of your monk, then that's really the the one you're going to pick. That was weird. Why? Just all the spell casting and stuff like that with your monk. So yeah, like I said, they've had it in the past. Seems like second edition treading on somebody else's territory. There. Yeah, second edition they Remember, stuck them under Greg. the priest class, and they were essentially priests with unarmed attacks. Everybody can be everything. That's true. In this version, so now we get into. The Xanathar's Guide to Everything, which we tend to like these classes. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't Xanathars. think this is anything that's going to change our opinion. I think we're going to continue to like. Way of the Drunken Master. This is, you know, they made movies with the drunken martial artist. I could definitely see this being a huge role play opportunity for, for players. Well, Third level. Sometimes in convention play, it's it's not role playing. Yeah. You actually show <laughs> yeah. up to the table drunk. Right, well, I, I actually uh, role play the way of the drunken dungeon master at some games. Yes. <laughs> so, he's way of the drunken never master. never finer than when he's drunk. That's right. I'm a happy drunk. At. Third level, you get performance and brewer's supplies proficiency. So, you know, the, the implication is that, one, you can make your own booze, but also it's a little, you're hamming it up a little bit. So they yeah. give you that performance. You also get drunken technique. When you use your flurry of blows, you add disengage automatically, and mm-hmm. you get an extra 10 movement till the end of your turn. So that lets you just sort of sway around the, the battle. Nobody gets to, to smack you, um, and you can... Stagger a little farther than normal. You also, um, at sixth level, you get tipsy sway. Now, they got some good names for these techniques. If you're prone, it only costs you five feet of movement to stand up instead of half your movement like normal. And you can redirect an attack. If you spend a key on a creature that misses in melee, you can cause that attack to hit a creature of your choice within five feet of you. So not necessarily within five feet of the person attacking, but within five feet of you. Well, it says that you can see within well, five That you feet. can see. Yeah. So that's sort of nice. And I don't believe it uses your reaction even. What if in the game, we all use miniatures, and I'm just thinking about this. What if you've got one that's like your attacker's in front of you, but the target that you're redirecting it to is behind you by yeah. five feet? yeah. That works. I mean, I've extended that even, person's reach by ten, yeah, by five. Even feet. with a pole arm, let's say they were ten feet away from you. My impression is that, like you grab the haft and you like pull it and stab the okay. guy behind you. Yeah. And there was actually a good thread on Reddit that somebody put four boards out mm-hmm. and made a five foot box. It's far smaller than people think. It oh, is. it is. Yes, it five is. Five feet is essentially the minimum amount of space you really need to yeah. fight effectively. Yes. Yeah. So it's not like people. I think people overestimate how far. You know, everything is from one another. <clears throat> All right, so we're still with the wait, wait, drunkard's luck is the next yeah. one at 11th level. Yeah, 11th level. You can use two key to cancel disadvantage on an ability attack or save. Yeah. yeah okay. I guess that's good. Not, not great, but it's decent. Especially if you really need to make that save. I could see it coming in handy. At 17th, you get intoxicated frenzy. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> you when you use flurry of blows, which only costs you one key, and then you're gonna uh, 
instead of getting one attack, you get three attacks three for a total of five because your attack action gives you one plus your extra attack. Flurry of Blows uses your bonus action, would normally give you one, but in this case gives you three. And you have to attack a different creature. But you have to attack a different creature. Yes. Uh, Each Flurry of yes. Blows. Each Flurry of Blows attack. Yes. So you got to have three creatures around you to make full use of the ability. But then eh. again, you're hitting them with those tiny little hit points. So so it's more role play than, than anything else. But you can start stunning left and right because you get five attacks. Then the other one, uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything, Way of the Kensei, or Kensai. <laughs> At third level, you get to pick... I always say Kensei. Kensei. Well, that, um, that, my monk is a Way of the Kensei monk. Okay. So. I we I don't know which is which is correct obviously, but we can look it up. We should have done that before, but yeah. too late now. <laughs> At third level, you get to pick one melee weapon, one ranged weapon, but they have to lack the heavy or any special properties. But it can include the longbow, which I think has uh, yes a, some sort of special prop. Maybe who knows? They you are now proficient with those weapons, and they count as monk weapons when you use them. And then you get to add weapons at 6, 11, and 17. With, with those weapons, you get Agile Parry. You get plus 2 to your attack with unarmed strikes. Or, sorry, plus 2 to your AC if you attack with an unarmed strike and are using a Kensei, holding a Kensei weapon. So if you're holding your weapon, you add 2 to your AC. And you're attacking with an unarmed strike. And you're not incapacitated. Yeah. Kensei Shot is you use a bonus action to do an extra D4 damage with your Kensei ranged weapon. That's not too shabby. Because <clears throat> normally if you're ranged, you're not doing a two-weapon attack, obviously. So you might as well do something with your bonus action. And then you get Way of the Brush, proficiency with calligraphers and painter supplies, because you're supposed to be like the artsy Kensei. That was the whole Could thing. you use that in effect with some type of uh, disguise makeup? Uh, I think that would be disguise kit proficiency. Mm. I, th- I think it's more uh, Miyamoto Musashi, was a famous painter. He has his. He was uh, a samurai, and he has his thrush. I believe it was called mm-hmm. painting. Uh, I have a copy of it sitting on a shelf somewhere in a book <laughs> at home. So I think that's drawing on that. He was like a sword master. Gotcha. At sixth level, you get one with the blade. Your kensei weapons count as magical weapons, which is important for the obvious reason. Yep. And then you also get deft strike. So you, if you spend one key, you can deal damage equal to your martial arts die once per turn. Your martial arts die. Did we yeah. cover that? What is that? That goes up. That's the one that starts as a D4, and then oh, okay. when your unarmed strikes and it climbs, it might climb all the way to a D12. Okay. I'm not sure. But it but it increases. And that's for one minute. You do that extra mm. damage for the next minute using your three key and your bonus action. And then at 17, unerring accuracy. If you miss with your monk weapon, which a Kensei weapon counts as a monk weapon, you get to... Reroll that once per turn. That's a pretty good ability. Hey, I missed. No, I didn't. I hit. That's once per turn. <laughs> That's sort of nice. <sighs> Way of the Long Death. So now we get into uh, Sword Coast Adventures Guide. We have not been a big fan of their stuff. So let's let's see what it looks like. All so right. third level, you get the Touch of Death. If you reduce a creature to Zero hit points within five feet. You get temporary hit points equal to your wisdom plus your monk level. That's pretty good. I mean, if you're a high level mm-hmm. monk, you're getting that's a chunk of temporary hit points. That could be twenty five temporary hit points. Nice. At six level, you get now. But here's the thing: most creatures at third, most ways at third level get two abilities. 
You just get that one ability at third level. That's know, that's a good seem, point. I didn't doesn't seem fair, right? Yeah. All right. Well, maybe the other stuff is really good. So at six level, the hour of reaping, you can use your action to force creatures within thirty feet to make a save or be frightened of you until the end of their next turn. End of your next mm-hmm. turn. End of your next turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. I mean. <laughs> When am I really going to use that to a distinct advantage against a melee creature that's not in melee range that fails their save that I go before? That's when that's useful. Until the next turn thing. Yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that one. Okay, whatever. 11th level. Mastery of death. If you're reduced to zero hit points, I can spend one key point to have one hit point instead. Okay, this could be fun. So the other the other abilities sort of suck. But here's the thing about this ability. As far as I can tell, it doesn't use any other resources. It's not using your reaction or your bonus action no. or your action. And it's not limited by like once per long rest like a lot of times. It does not say that. No. If I'm a 20th level monk, hmm. you have to kill me 21 times. Yes, I was going to say. Yeah, you can like, do that. <laughs> unless you insta-death me, which is probably not going to happen at 20th level... You are not going to take. I mean, <laughs> that yeah, could be a you're lot right. Of fun, unless you burn not, through all your key. It's points. not going to. Yeah, twenty key points. Yeah. You have twenty key points, right? So you have to kill me twenty-one times. They don't have to do much damage to you to kill you, but no. you're always going to bounce up to one. Yeah, but that's. I mean, how many times do you get hit in a combat? Yeah, you don't get hit twenty times. No, I mean, literally, unless there was a ton of creatures with a lot of attacks. This monk, everyone else would be dead and and bled out. Yeah. And you're still going. And it, remember, it only I think it takes you... Oh, no, that was the other one with five feet of movement to stand up. Even if you have to use half your movement, you got pretty good movement. So that could be really fun. No action required. You just expend one key point. Yeah. Hmm. Doing. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly the noise that would be made. Yep. That almost makes up for the suckiness of the prior two <laughs> abilities. But again, it's... It's a niche ability. Yeah. Like, if you have to use it, things are going horribly wrong. But it would be hilarious to watch somebody. I might incorporate that into an adventure I write at some point. I'll have a, a way of the long death monk that just keeps popping up and frustrating players. Great, cover your ears. Earmuffs. Earmuffs. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be hilarious for a party to be like, what the hell? Why can't we kill this guy? <clears throat> 17th level. Touch of long death. Sounds like a venereal disease. Yes, it does. Um, so you use your action to touch the target within five feet and expend from one to ten key points. Wow. They then make a con save and take 2d10 necrotic damage Whoa. per key point spent. So that could be up to 20d10, which is going to be 110 hit points, and they save for half. So they still take damage. That's a pretty good ability. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow, that's nasty. So the way of the long death... The early abilities suck, but I sort of like the later abilities. Mm. I mean, I, I have to admit. So this is the first Skag, Sword Coast Adventures Guide uh, class expansion that I'm, I'm sort of liking. Last one. This Way of the Sun Soul appeared in both Skag's, uh, Sword Coast Adventures Guide, and Xanathar's Guide to Everything. They republished it. Really? <laughs> this one, uh, okay. I that. So at third level, you get Radiant Sunbolt. Basically, you shoot like a sun bolt up to 30 feet, so it's a short sun bolt, I guess. Uh, and you deal radiant damage equal to your monk die, which we said starts at D4 and goes sun up. Sun derringer. Um, 
you can spend a key point and attack again that way as a using your bonus action and you can replace any attack with this attack if you take the attack action so i can punch and sunbolt it's more it sounds like more like a superhero than a D character like i'm like i'm iron man and i'm punching things and then shooting these things which don't do a ton of damage and if all my special abilities are based on striking something with unarmed strike why am i shooting sunbolts unless it's a creature vulnerable to radiant damage i guess that's so is it not is it considered a magical attack though I would. I don't know. I would probably yeah, maybe say at that, this. If that level. Maybe you don't have the magic weapon, and that's your. Yeah, but two levels later, I think you do. Two or three levels later, you get magic. You got to make it to that, though. Okay. Ah. Okay. <laughs> I'm not impressed with it. Six levels. Searing great, but... arc strike. Mm. After you take the attack action, spend two burning hands and or two key, and you can cast burning hands as a bonus action. And if you spend more key, you can cast burning hands at a higher level. Burning hands is a great spell at first level, yes. second level, third level, maybe even fourth level. At fifth level, it's no longer a great spell. Mm-hmm. It's sort of uh, okay. So, yeah, it's not an awful ability, but it's not anything to get excited about. Eleventh level searing sunburst. So as an action. You basically get a radiant damage fireball that goes out 150 feet, does 2d6 radiant damage, but I can pump it up with up to three additional key, and every additional key adds 2d6. So I can do 8d6 radiant fireball, hey, but I'm 11th level. Hey, if you throw fireball normally, this is a good yeah, substitute. Yeah, I guess. How about just carry a scroll? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's just, it's not a monk thing. It just seems like you're, it's a poor substitute for... Remember, you're sacrificing all the other things you could be doing as a monk mm-hmm. to be able to do this one thing, which is essentially act like a wizard for two or three spells. Mm. All right, and then at 17th level, Sun Shield. You shed bright light for 30, dim light for an additional 30. You can a bonus action to start or stop this. If you're hit with a melee attack while your light is on, you can use your reaction to deal five plus your wisdom radiant damage. That blows. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like... Again, all of these yeah. things sound like some of the stuff that I have seen on the animated manga cartoon. Yeah, well, here's the thing with Sun Shield. Okay, for one thing, you're a monk, use your bonus action, turn it on. Everyone else in the party goes, turn off the damn light. Yeah. Because every adventure group wants to walk around in total darkness and <laughs> right. use their dark vision, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, you're basically a huge lighthouse for any monsters that want to attack. So, yeah. okay, let's say you start with it off. Sure. And then when combat starts, you turn it on. Okay, you can do that. You have to use your bonus action. But now, one, I have to be hit by an attack. Well, I don't want to be hit. And then I have to use my reaction to deal a pitiful 10 damage to whatever hit me. At 17th So I'm only doing it once per round. At 17th level, I'm doing 10 damage using my reaction. It just, I'm sorry, it doesn't scale. Like, it's just... It's a crappy ability. It's not great. So but we're back to the normal Sword Coast Adventures guide. <laughs> Eric will not yes. be doing a monk with the Way of the Sun Soul. No. No. I will take a monk. I will do a two-level dip into Wizard so I can carry <laughs> Fireball Scrolls. Maybe even three-level dip. As, no, two-level would get me Elemental Adept. If I take a feat that I can change my damage for a spell, I might be able to turn it into... Something besides fire, probably not radiant, but I could turn it into acid maybe. So there's other ways that are far better, and I could still hit 17th level in one of the other more useful ways of a monk. Yeah. 
you know, I'm, I'm sitting And I would here. get shield, so my armor class would be awesome. Okay, so we've been talking a lot about the monks, and all throughout, I've been saying that this just reminds me of all of these, you know, cartoon characters, right? Well, I'm on D&D Beyond as we're doing this, and the very latest uh, comment on this is, we're doing Curse of Strahd soon, and I cannot wait to be a Dragon Ball Z elephant person who punches vampires. Summed it up pretty well, I think. Yeah. You know, there's no <laughs> yeah. wrong way to play D&D. If that's what you want to do. I mean, if you play with a group of huge anime fans. Yep, this is the class for you. Knock yourself out, man. Like, mm-hmm. like, go for it. Yep. It would be... Sometimes I think, like, how are, like, one-class parties? How would they work? Monk isn't great for that, but it would be sort of funny to have five people, all monks, just go through a damage and punch everything to death. You'd have to have them at... I don't know. I don't think they could survive at low level. Well, the healing would be a problem. Yeah. Because the monks don't really get any healing. Yeah, you'd have to have... Depends on what kind of traditions they're all. If they spread them out... It's a self-heal, the one that gets it. Right. But it would be fun. I mean, and truthfully, in, in fifth edition, as written, just carry a boatload of healing potions, and mm-hmm. you're probably good. Yeah. So, so that's monk, and that wraps up our classes. I won't say that I'm any more kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, I'm not any more uh, fa- uh, view favorably towards the monk than I am before. So. I, I will probably make one, probably way of shadow. But you know, but okay. I like I like the way of shadow. That's sort of cool. Well, that's. Uh, well, I will definitely throw the NPC monk in that you have to kill twenty one times. Yeah, there you yeah, go. I'm, I'm gonna be waiting for that. So uh, yeah, my second highest level uh, adventures league character is a monk. Yeah, what up, monk? Uh, the character famously killed, killed by, by squirrels. squirrels. Yep, that was my monk. And uh, which is a callback to first edition monks. Greg wasn't yeah. here for that discussion, but they died so easily. Well, there he goes, first adventure, he killed by squirrels. Man. That's Upholding the monk tradition, <laughs> I would uh, I would put forward that almost any character would have been killed in that situation. A brand new character strolling down a path, beset oh, by frenzy. Don't ruin my my thing. fantasy. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> really killed by squirrels. Killed by squirrels. Yeah. That is, but that is you know what? It was a poor ruling and uh, awful DMing, but it's a great story. It is. I have gotten a lot of mileage out of it. Yeah. So <laughs> now, wait, who was the DM? Some guy, the the, the AL guy at uh, Gary Cunn, we didn't like. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Did he dislike you, and he just want to? No, set a bunch of rabbits. No, it was he just was him. an adversarial DM. He thought it was his job to kill characters. Yes, so. With well, he squirrels? was a very he was a very adversarial DM, and yeah, playing. Apparently, he liked to embarrass you too. Well, it wasn't just me personally. He hmm. just he just well, felt he, that he needed <laughs> to be right. And and my other thing that I was displeased about at that table is that was the one time I played where there were children playing at the table. So he murders me in front of 10 minutes into the game with like a a 10 year old playing, uh, you know, sitting practically next to me. He also misapplied. He had a critical miss. He had one of the other characters hit great character while he was down and failed, caused him failed death saving throws, which is not a thing in AL. There's no critical. Okay. It was was just a series of bad calls. Yeah. Yeah. And so, fortunately, I was were fortunately you down and out for the entire rest of the game. No, no, I got brought back up because fortunately, one of the other guys playing was an experienced Adventures League dungeon master. And he just flat out said, that's not the way that happens. And he argued with the guy and pulled some stuff out of some books and said, no, no, no. 
because he realized that was crap that I was going to get offed by squirrels by squirrels with a brand new character 15 minutes into a campaign because I was walking down a road and that was just not uh, fun. Yeah, so it was, it was not fun. It was not fun game mastering. Okay. It was just not a good call on his part. But I think he was proud of himself that he killed a character and and it yeah, and it, huh. it left a weird sort of pall over the whole rest of the run. Yeah. And then I ran it and then I ended up playing with the guy at least one more time that weekend and twice the next year. At least once with you. Wow. Yeah, so, I have his name, so this Gary Con, we're gonna have to pay attention to what we yeah, see. Yeah, he's he's on the he's on the no fly list. Yeah. That's nice that Gary Con lists so, the game masters. Back to our podcast. Yes, you know, we're done with the classes. <laughs> yes, we have we are. thought about doing monster groups. So talking about you know one podcast on demons, one podcast on constructs, or you know whatever dragons or something. Yeah, so they have those large groupings. We could do that. We, we've also started we've also got some interviews we that do. we want to try to work in. I think yeah. our interviews go very well for us. Yeah, yeah. There's some interesting. We ask questions other other <laughs> interviewers don't ask because no, we're not. No one in their right mind would ask from the historical perspective. <laughs> right. We're definitely from the hobbyist perspective. Mm-hmm. That's fair. So, so we have plans, and hopefully, we'll be back on our two week production. Life sometimes interferes, but yeah, <laughs> we are right. we are there. It does happen. All right, so that's a wrap for the monks. So, Greg, take us out. Okay, if you want to tell us all of your monk stories or you know squirrel stories, if you have them, uh, you can get a hold of us on Facebook, where we loiter, and we are the Grognards. On Twitter, we are at t Grognards. Uh, there's some Instagram thing where we're the underscore grognards. And there's always classic snail mail where we are gamers at thegrognards.com. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening in to our latest podcast here. For the Grognards, I am Dean Geiken. I'm Eric Hawley. And I'm Greg Ziegler. Game on.